This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. This morning I was talking about the fact that six things really happen at the time of salvation, when we're born again with the Spirit of God. We're sanctified, where we're once and for all set apart, uh, set apart from this world, this corrupt world, and even the power of sin, and we're set apart to God. You know, God gives us the grace and the strength through this born again experience to be able to uphold uh, God's purpose for our lives. Then we talked about the fact that there's a permanent indwelling according to the promise of Jesus and the apostles. We're anointed with the Holy Spirit, which really emphasizes the ability to be able to identify with spiritual understanding. We're regenerated, which means that now we have the ability and the desires to, to, to follow God and, and the demands that he's put upon us. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit which is really the guarantee of our salvation. And, um, and we're baptized into the body of Christ. All of these things took place at the point of salvation. And God understood that if he's gonna set us apart as his vessels, he has to equip us. And so God has done his part. And we have this great salvation that was bestowed upon us. We have the Father who orchestrated it in all eternity. We have Jesus Christ who went to the right hand of God as our high priest and uh, now is interceding for us and showing mercy and grace in times of need. Uh, but we also have the promise of the Holy Spirit that's recorded in the book of Acts by Luke. He records the promise of Jesus coming upon the Jews in Acts 2, coming upon the Samaritans in Acts 8, and coming upon the Gentiles as a whole in Acts 10. Okay, so if we really get down to it and start really defining salvation, the Holy Spirit has all of us. <laughs> the question is, do we have all of the Holy Spirit in the practice of righteousness? This morning I was talking about the fact that in Romans 6, it's an interesting, Romans 6, 7, and 8, there's a contrast. It talks about, and it's talking about religious people or people professing to be Christians. We can either live according to the flesh or we can live according to the spirit. A non-believer only has one option. They can only live according to the flesh. Why? Because they're in the flesh. No. The believer can make the mistake of living according to the flesh, which doesn't necessarily mean living according to sin, but it, it means trying to live according to the power of the flesh and not according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, someone came up to me this morning after the first service and they said, you know, I haven't heard a teaching on the Holy Spirit in years. That might be true of a lot of us. And it's like, why would we not uphold the doctrine of the Holy Spirit when it's the most instrumental you know, part of our salvation in guiding us into the fullness of the truth? And so God has done his part. We're equipped, we're complete. The scriptures talk about we've been made perfect in Christ, Hebrews 10, 14. We have, uh, God has completely equipped us for service to him. 
And so the problem no longer lies with God or there was ever a problem. The question is, again, uh, how do we conduct ourselves in relationship to this wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit that's been bestowed upon us at the point of salvation? And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. I've had someone come up to me, you know, you, you kind of try to get a pulse on people over the years in the ministry. And they say, Tommy, I got no power. You know? So you start kind of probing a little. You know, I, I just feel like I, I can't follow God. And you start trying to ask what's, you know, what's going on in your life. And then you start realizing that uh, they probably haven't done something that they should have done at first when they were saved. And let's read about that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But I'm going to talk about all the things that we're obligated to God as far as upholding our faithfulness and our responsibility to the Lord so that we can really enjoy this wonderful life that God has given us and uh, really enter into a, a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, <clears throat> It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The, the idea is, in light of this great salvation that God has bestowed upon us, how should we respond to this? He just talked about nine chapters. Uh, he just talked about, well, nine chapters or eight chapters, and then he talked about Israel in chapter 9, 10, and 11. But he's, it's a masterpiece as far as what salvation truly is. He breaks it down, he shows justification, he shows sanctification, he shows glorification. And he starts revealing you know, to God's people this great salvation that God has bestowed upon us. In light of this mercy and this great salvation that God has bestowed upon us, what's really the first step that we should do? You know? and, and he answers that question here, where we should present our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, again, you've heard this, but the problem with living sacrifices, they crawl off the altar. You know, that's kind of the problem. But the idea is we present ourselves to God as holy vessels, that he's made us holy vessels. And now we present ourselves to the Lord where he raises us up in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I think the father is crying, you know, crying out to us, play dead, my child. Will you play dead in the flesh and let me raise you up in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit? I was at a Bible study one day and there was one guy, man, he was just having a lot of trouble. And, and everybody's taking a shot to help him. And then I kind of came in through a theological avenue, you know, and it's like, well, how much... Uh, how much does God have of you? You know, and he said 98%. <laughs> I said that 2% is what's killing you. And I'm not talking about being perfect or, you know, suggesting that, you know, in a, in a carnal way. But the way he was saying that is that I'm still holding out on God. I haven't fully given myself over to the Lord. There's still things in this life that I like. 
That's the way I was hearing it, and that's the way he meant it. And the reason I'm bringing it to your attention is that we either have given ourselves over to God or we haven't. There's no halfway, there's no 90%, there's no 98%. Either God has all of us 100% by us presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to him, and our, our life and our destiny is in his hands. That's what God is asking. You know, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. It says the Holy Spirit is jealous for us. You know what that really means? Obviously, jealousy has a negative connotation, but when we speak of God, it's, it's in the positive. God doesn't want to, want to share us with anyone of the world that would take us away from our fellowship with him. The Holy Spirit does not want to share us with the world. He wants all of us. He wants us to, to truly live our lives where it evolves around the person of Jesus Christ in a spirit-filled life. Anything less than that, we will always struggle in the Christian walk. Again, I'm not talking perfection from our perspective. I'm talking about the fact that we know in our heart of hearts that when Christ came into our hearts, we belong to God. And we know that the, the purpose to life is to glorify the Father, and he has access to us in every aspect of our life to use us the way he wants. That's where the joy and the peace and the contentment comes in. If there's a part of us that's holding out on God and we're putting something before God in this life, it's going to stall our forward progress and growing. And so I would say to those, have you ever really dedicated your life to the work of God if you've been born again with the Spirit of God? A lot of times people have never been born again. They believe, but they, they want the best of both worlds. But if a person's truly born of the Spirit of God, then they should be coached and, and guided by mentors and pastors and leaders that, okay, what do we do now? Now we serve God with all our hearts. There's a lot of lack of teaching going on in America. You know, I don't know. You know people get, they say they get saved and there's no follow-up. There's absolutely nothing. They're wandering like in the wilderness, you know, just walking around, not really ever experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit or really experiencing what it is to, to be in fellowship with God on a constant basis. So the first thing we have to do in light of what God has done for us, especially emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit have all of us present our lives to him? Okay. And all God is asking us is to acknowledge the weaknesses or the sins in our life. It's a pretty good deal if you really think about this. When the Holy Spirit points an error in the ways of our living, just obey him. You know, just don't fight with him. Don't complicate it. Don't try to rationalize our sin or the mistakes of our life. You know, just, just agree with him. Agreement or confession carries the meaning the intention of wanting to change or the intention of wanting God to change us in our confession. You know, a lot of people have a, a worldly sorrow. You know, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And yet never change. And they're saying they're sorry about the same sin that they keep committing over and over. Second Corinthians points this out. That's a worldly sorrow. But a godly sorrow where the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we need to change our ways. And we say, yes, Lord, thank you for pointing these things out. We got attitude in our heart. The Holy Spirit points that out. You got a little attitude. You got pride. The Holy Spirit points it out. You got anger. 
Holy Spirit points it out. You know, maybe we've got some lust problems. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And all we're doing is like, thank you, Lord, for making me aware of these things. And, and the Holy Spirit will clean us up. But if we're going to put a bulletproof vest on when it comes to conviction and not allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us the ways of God, that's different. Someone who's presented their body to God, you know, is open to God. You know, whatever you need, Father, I want to glorify you with my life. Remember this morning, I talked about regeneration. Regeneration means there's been a total desire change that has taken place. What that means is our desire is to please God, not not the desire to gratify our sinful nature anymore. Basically, that's all of us apart from Christ. We live to gratify our sinful nature. Whatever brings pleasure to us or it's advantageous to us, that's what we do. But what happens when we're regenerated? All of a sudden, the desires of God take over. And now all of a sudden we've died to ourselves, and we've been made alive in Christ. And so he goes on in verse two and he, you know, he goes, well, verse one says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now here's another one. And do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, renewing our minds, right? What's, what persuades us? If God is not renewing our minds through the word of God, then what is persuading us or conditioning our minds in life? Think about it. What is it, right? I've talked about, you know, our young people need to be so careful. Why? Well, because Satan has taken over the universities. He's taken over the media, right? Who do you think's conditioning their minds? These young, innocent minds that are being subjected to all these diabolical ideas of man. This is what's going on. That's why I'm blessed to see young people that can stand alone at the age of 15, the age of 20, the age of 25. You know, just young people who are serving God. That's a pretty hard thing to do today because everything in, in their environment is going the opposite way of God. But then all of a sudden, you know, their eyes are open and they realize that you know, these are the things that are contrary to God that are going to take me away from the Lord. And so we have to learn how to separate ourselves from the ways of the world. Because when we're saved, John says, we don't share in the, in the sins of the world anymore. We don't share in the ways of the world. What goes on in our life, we start sharing in the ways of righteousness as defined by the Holy Spirit. See, that's huge. And that's what happens when we're regenerated. So now all of a sudden, we got to make decisions that kind of, we live in the world, but we got to learn to separate ourselves from compromising situations or environments that are going to really get us in trouble with our sinful nature. And so now we start realizing that we live in the world, but we want to have contact without contamination. A mature Christian, someone seeking the Lord, will do everything in their power, you know, you know, again, some of our students, you know, we're at universities that are liberal. Okay, okay, what are you going to do? Just fall apart and start being conditioned by their ideas? Or you go in there with the full armor of God, with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and you stand alone. And you can respect them and their positions, but at the same time, you will not waver when it comes to the truth. So now you're in a very hostile environment. Maybe that's a strong word. Maybe it's not. 
And yet, you're able to live within that kind of environment without being contaminated by the ways of the world or the ideas of the world. Well, for us, well, all right, let's take grownups, all right? I talked about how we can be so undisciplined, watch four hours of TV a day, but not even open the Bible and read it for 20 minutes. <laughs> how do you think that's gonna play out? Huh? Watching all the things, you know, 98% of TV is contrary to the ways of God. They tell me every seven seconds there's some kind of sexual innuendo on TV. Every seven seconds, whether it's through commercials or in these shows or whatever. I think that's accurate. And so now what are we doing? You know, are we separating ourselves? And I'm saying, you guys, I'm not telling you to not watch TV. Just use good judgment and be disciplined. You know, enjoy a good football game. Enjoy this, you know, but make, you know, learn how to separate yourself from the ways of the world. You know, be in it, but don't be part of it. Don't be contaminated. So I guess obviously that we know that something's wrong when the world is conditioning us and we're continuing to go again, you know, the same way as the world. There's something wrong there. And so it says in verse two, and do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that. Who's renewing our mind? The Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, he's teaching us the value system of God. A lot of churches are bringing the value system of the world into the church. We're supposed to, as a church, push out the value system. Because the Holy Spirit's renewing us as a people of God. We don't allow the value system of the world to come in. We stand, you know, we take a stand for God and we lift up his value system and we push the value system of the world out of the church. That's what we do in our own personal lives. But the Holy Spirit's renewing us. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden I was telling this story this morning. You know, you hear people say, oh, you're a born again Christian. You're brainwashed. You got brainwashed. I heard that a lot when I got saved. Oh, those people brainwashed you. And I said, well, praise God. My brain needs a lot of washing. You know, there's a lot of filth in there over 30 years before I got saved. Go ahead, God, go for it. Clean it up. But the truth is that the Holy Spirit renews us. Because we've been, you know, I don't want to say, apart from God, we're just damaged goods. That's just the reality. We're damaged goods. You know? And one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to show us we are damaged goods because of sin. That's why we call upon the Lord. We call upon the Lord. Jesus gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit who comes into us only through repentance. You can believe in Jesus from here to Timbuktu if you've never repented you're not going to receive the Holy Spirit. And again, what does it repent mean? Well, to be broken and to recognize that, you know, I'm a sinner and that Christ alone can bridge that gap. And I'm going to believe the testimony of Christ and follow Jesus Christ. That's repentance. That's when we become born again with the Holy Spirit. I was asking, you know, I always ask this question. You ever hear people throwing that term around, born again? You don't hear it anymore, do you? That's kind of odd, isn't it? When it's pivotal to what Jesus said in John 3. I mean, Nicodemus is the only Pharisee that believed he was from heaven. And Jesus, what did he say to Nicodemus? He said, that's nice that you believe that, Nicodemus, but unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. 
And so there's a belief that falls short of saving faith. And so we have to repent. Now, that's another word, right? Repent. That's another word missing in churches today. You know? And so there is no fellowship with God without repentance. But for us, let me come back to the believers. A believer knows how to separate themselves. I had this girl after class one day, one of my students years ago, and she said, I'm unhappy. You know, I said, okay, well, again, what's going on in your life? Do you hang out with Christians? No. I mean, you don't go to church. You just, you come into this Bible college class and you don't even hang out with Christians, you know? And it's like, no, all my friends are non-believers. What? <laughs> I didn't say what. You know, I'm just kind of being polite listening, but you know, I'm saying what in front of you guys. What? You're supposed to be a Christian. You need to learn how to separate yourself. Again, I'm not telling it, you know, I'm not telling us that we need to hate non-believers, but we don't have anything in common with non-believers if we're fully dedicated to the work of God. We have absolutely nothing in common. And if we keep gravitating to non-believers and find more joy in hanging with them than hanging with faithful Christians, there's something wrong with that picture. There's a couple of things going on. We, need to get, we either need to get saved or we need to start reconsidering the way we're living and start really making a declaration to separate ourselves from the ways of the world. But we all have non-believing friends. I'm not saying, yeah, but, but you know, we keep our distance in a good way where you know, there's nothing really we have in common or there's nothing really edifying about the relationship. I wanna hang out with people where I'm edified in the faith. Is that fair? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I catch up with old friends, non-believers. I mean, I'm polite, they call me, you know, and say, hey, yeah, good. We'll, we'll talk and get together and talk about old times, but maybe try to get a gospel message in there. But at the same time, that's probably as far as it's gonna go. Why? Because you know, we've been changed by the blood of Christ. Something's changed in us, right? You're, you're over there going to pot parties, going to drinking parties, right? All of a sudden you get saved. And all of a sudden you go back to that party where they're just smoking the weed, getting drunk, whatever, right? And all of a sudden, this, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> I remember, I love when someone, a young Christian comes up to me and says, you know, I just didn't feel right. I went to a championship wrestling match, and it, I used to love that stuff, but I, everybody's cursing and screaming, and I, I just didn't feel right. And I said, well, what's happening is that you're a new creature in Christ. All of a sudden now, you're starting to be sensitive to the things of this world, and you start seeing that this is not the ways of God, and I don't want to really be part of this. But you see, if we don't change this, we'll never go forward in the faith. We'll just never go forward, you know? But a Christian knows how to change it because the Holy Spirit's tugging on his heart and continuing to convict us when we're in a compromising situation. And so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we do these things, God will make his will known to us perfectly clear. You ever see people go through life What's the will of God, right? What is the will of God? <laughs> well, if you're walking in the truth, trust me, you'll know what the will of God is. Trust me. 
God will make it plain to us what's acceptable, what's pleasing to him. It might not be as specific as we want with the you know, writing on the wall or something, but trust me, we walk with the Lord. We've given him the first fruits of our life. God will make himself known to us and he'll reveal his direction for us. And again, sometimes it's not as clear as we want to be, but when it's all said and done, we're right there where God wanted us because our hearts are right. People ask me sometimes tough decisions. You know, should I move to Texas? Should I join, you know, should I stay in the military? I mean, these are tough decisions I can't make for them. But what I can tell them for sure, if you're serving God with all your heart and the, the purpose of your life is to glorify the Father, you'll be fine in whatever decision you make because God does not put his children who are faithful in a maze. He'll take care of it. And all God is asking, you just trust me. If you make any decisions, it's for my glory. And it's amazing how God will orchestrate such major decisions in our life where we weren't 100% sure, but we were doing our best in the sensitivity that we had before God in our fellowship with him. He filled in the blanks because he's going to honor his son. He's going to honor those who honor his son. Let me say that way. I love in John, around the middle of the gospel, those who honor Jesus Christ, the Father honors them. That's all he's looking for, for us to honor Christ. That's all he's looking for in his children. The Holy Spirit will fill in the blanks after that. And so I love that. Those who honor the Father, God will honor them. I mean, those who honor the Son, God will honor them. I once used the term, a guy got mad at me. I don't know, the Bible study. I was like, if we don't invest in God, God's not going to invest in our life. He didn't like that. And it's like, well, all right, let me think about it. What did I say wrong? And I started to think about it. You know, I always want to be careful and maybe don't want to send the wrong message. But I think it's true right? Even for his children. <laughs> if we're not investing in God's kingdom, why would God waste his time investing in our lives? Oh, he's, he's still got his protected hedge upon us. We're still his children, and he'll try to nudge us through conviction of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't want to change our ways, how much does God really want to invest in an unfaithful child of his? I think it's a legitimate statement. I'm okay with it. If some of you have a problem with it, talk to me after the service. But the truth is, we invest in God's kingdom. The Father in heaven is investing in our lives. I'm telling you, it's beautiful. And he loves his children who just seek his kingdom first. Amen? And so, give ourselves fully to the work of God as instruments of righteousness in this passage. Second, a desire to come out and separate ourselves from this world system. And third, you know, renew our minds by the scriptures and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's the starting point. You know, that's the starting point. You know how many people have been going to church for years, never got through, past the starting point? <laughs> they never got past the starting point. Wow. And then living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The second thing, Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, 5.18, you should, you know, should highlight it. It's an easy verse to memorize. 
It says, and do not be drunk with wine, <clears throat> in which is dissipation, ah, be, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In this context, how do you know you're filled with the Spirit? I'm going to talk about that. Well, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, that's fellowship. Yeah. And that's, that's something that should characterize at least spirit-filled Christians who are gravitating to other Christians. Yeah. You know how many people go to church and nobody knows who they are from Adam? That's not a good picture. You think about that, especially when God has asked us to be committed to the truth. To be committed to the truth, we got to be committed to one another. <laughs> Believe me, we'll sing songs of, of, of worship together, giving thanks to God together with genuine believers, faithful believers. <clears throat> And so to be filled, <clears throat> let me say three things about being filled. It's not an option, it's a command, okay? It's in the command form, the imperative mode, so it's a command. It's not as if we can wake up and say, I'm grouchy today, that's just the way I'm gonna be. Scream at my wife, yell at my kids, you know? Have an attitude going to work, we don't have that option. We got to find that place with God, you know, and say, Lord, you know, I want to please you today. I want to glorify you today with my life. That's how deep the convictions get in our hearts. We stop giving ourselves a pass because we're in wonderful fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit that we have those convictions to consider our behavior. You know. I don't think going through life saying, ah, that's just me. I'm only human. That's the way I am. Now, that's not going to fly out good in our personal relationship with God. We need to take care of it. And God will help us take care of it if we want to glorify him with our lives. So we wake up. It's like, Father, fill me with your spirit. Control me. The word means to control. It's like, it's like filling coffee up to the brim. There's no more room. So you keep pouring it in, it's overflowing. That's the idea. We're so filled with the Holy Spirit that our sinful nature has no place to operate in our makeup. That's the idea. We're filled to the brim with the direction and guidance and fellowship of the Holy Spirit that our flesh has no place to operate. You find yourself struggling and you want to change, just say, Lord, fill me in this area, please, Father. That's all it takes. And if you mean it, I'm telling you, God is faithful, and he will change us. All we're doing is going through life, and the Holy Spirit is just uprooting the weaknesses of the flesh. That's all the Holy Spirit's doing. He's just uprooting it if we're in agreement with God, and we're living to glorify him. It's a wonderful thing to see the Holy Spirit uproot weaknesses of the flesh. I don't care what that weakness is, what that sin is. I don't care what that addiction is. The Holy Spirit will uproot it if we're crying out to God to be filled with the Spirit and we want to glorify God. Now, I know there's some domineering tendencies in our life we all struggle with, but don't throw in the towel. Just keep coming to God and keep, you know, knocking on his door. 
Ask, seek, knock, you know those three words that mean be persistent. We have a worthy cause when we're crying out to God to help us to overcome, you know, the struggles of the flesh. You don't think God hears those prayers? He hears those prayers. And sometimes, you know, we, we struggle with those tendencies, but God's working, trust me. He's working and he's gonna honor that. And sometimes God lets it linger a little bit so we keep coming to him. We, we learn how to be dependent upon him. We don't take things into our own hands. This is all good. <laughs> That's how much God loves his children. And so be filled with the spirit. It's, it's not an option. No, it's a command. And we can be filled every day. You know, and this is the way it works. God's continuing to point out issues in our lives. You know, we might have jealousy. He points it out. We might have a problem with anger. He points it out. We might have a problem with lust. He points it out. We might, again, we have a problem with an attitude of our hearts. Holy Spirit points it out. Each time the Holy Spirit points it out, we're in agreement. Lord, change me. That's a spirit-filled life. <clears throat> and second thing is that it is a repeated action. Again, we need, to be, we need to keep on being filled where we let God address issues in our life. Listen, we could be spirit-filled in the struggles of our life. We, we want to change. And all of a sudden, something domineering has a hold of us but yet we're in agreement with God. We want the Lord to change us. That's a spirit-filled person. Spirit-filled doesn't mean we're perfect. What it does mean, we're pursuing perfection in our fellowship with God. And the spirit-filled person will acknowledge issues that you know, are not becoming before God. That's, that's a spirit-filled Christian. Now, a, a person who's not spirit-filled, eh, so I sin once in a while. You know, I get drunk once in a while. No big deal. You know, you know just a, a crummy attitude towards sin. <laughs> That's not a spirit-filled Christian. That's a Christian who's fooled themselves. <laughs> they deceived themselves. Or they need to get saved. And so the meaning of being filled is to be fully under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, I always like to use this illustration because, you know, uh, there's a misnomer about a person who's really spirit-filled because right? I want to talk about the evidence of a spirit-filled Christian. Okay. You're at a concert, 3,000 people, a worship concert. Okay. Everybody's just raising their hand, praising the Lord. Right. Worship, you know, one of those leading rock Christian stars, whatever, you know. Everybody's just pumped up with the music. Are they spirit-filled? Maybe. You know? Got a preacher up here preaching up a storm. I mean, he's just on fire and he's nailing it, right? Is he spirit-filled? Maybe. I know a lot of preachers who preached, a, preached up a storm and they were having an affair on the side. You think that's a spirit-filled preacher? Huh? The preacher's only using his gift. All right? 
It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. He should be good with it if he's at least halfway faithful. But as far as his own personal fate, he's not spirit-filled. He's in sin. Okay? Yet an old man walks in. Well, I shouldn't say old. No. An old man walks in. He's all beat up. Looks, looks like he hasn't had a shower in a week. His clothes are ripped. Right? Walks in and he just sits in the back. You know, nobody knows him. Is that guy spirit-filled? I don't know. Maybe he just got persecuted. Maybe he was a Jew who grew up in a Jewish home, accepted the Lord, and got thrown out of his home. He's been on the street. He's been beat up. And he, the only reason he walked in, because he heard the music, worship music, praising God. And he wanted to be part of that. That guy could be spirit-filled. See how we need to start thinking through the eyes, the lens of Scripture, right? Get a lot of, you know, you know, a lot of crazy, you know, outward, I want to use the right word. I don't want to say charismatic, but, you know, you get this charismatic personality and it's like, well, you don't even know what's going on in a person's life. Those things are not real good barometer, well, they're not necessarily a good barometer for who's spirit-filled. You know, anybody could put on a show. Anybody could preach up a storm. Anybody can get 3,000 people raising their hands. Imagine those 3,000 people go there, they go, oh man, this is some concert, and they're sitting in their life and they go home and never change it. <laughs> it goes on. You think they're spirit-filled? It's crazy, but we got to start thinking through the lens of Scripture. We got to start allowing the Holy Spirit, you know, to govern us and give us the spiritual insight that we need in order to line up with God's value system and not the value system of the world. And so, the evidence of a spirit-filled life—well, obedient to the Word of God. Now, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's what Jesus said, right? A spirit-filled Christian will make it their business to find out what's pleasing to the Father, how to be obedient to the truth. Someone who's not spirit-filled, let's look at the opposite. They, they don't even know what the Word says. They'll end up rationalizing everything. Hmm? How can you be obedient to God when you don't even have a desire to, to learn about God? <laughs> Think about it. And so without obedience, it's impossible to be spirit-filled. I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of show you are putting on or what, what kind of dynamic person you are, communicator, or you even got your own Christian TV show. I really don't care. If you can't be obedient and submissive, to the fullness of the faith, you're not spirit-filled. You know, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is the second thing. Not only obedient, you know, but really sharing the heart of Christ in our service to God. That's conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. How do you define spirituality? You know, you ask the New Age people, ooh. I float with the trees and the wind, you know, and all that kind of stuff. 
How do you define spirituality? Well, one way is a person who conforms to the image of Jesus Christ and conforms to the scriptures. That's, that's one way to define spirituality, right? Now you know how crazy it is when people don't even read the Bible or even follow God through the Bible. <laughs> how could you be spiritual? It's impossible. And so obedient to the word of God, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you know, sharing the heart of Christ in our service to God. The third thing, as far as the evidence of a spirit-filled life, it's an attitude of thankfulness, joy, and peace. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That is an interesting verse. That's one you should look at, highlight, and really meditate on. Because the reality is that when we are walking with God in a faithful way, we're going to be joyful, we're going to be at peace, and we're going to be upholding the righteousness of Christ in us. And there's going to be an attitude of thankfulness. If you go around, you're complaining about everything, right? And criticizing the boss, criticizing this, and, you know, and it's like everything that comes out of your mouth is murmuring and complaining. That's not a spirit-filled Christian. A, a spirit-filled Christian is so in love with God that that stuff doesn't bother them. If we can correct something, that's fine, but a spirit-filled Christian is so caught up in the, in the person of Christ and an attitude of thankfulness, they ain't got time to complain. I was talking about how Satan works in churches. You know who he's using? Huh? He's using unfaithful Christians. He's using... Christians or people who are not growing in the Lord. He's going after them because they're the ones that will do his dirty work. They'll cause division. They'll gossip. They'll find fault. You know? They'll tell the pastor, oh, nice message, and then find five people and complain about the pastor behind his back. That's just the nature of the sinful nature. Okay? That's what Satan is shopping around for. He only needs one or two unhappy campers in a local church to do his dirty work. Spirit-filled Christian knows how to kick that stuff out and knows how to maintain the unity in the body of Christ. You know, doesn't mean everything's perfect and everybody's agreeing with one another, but unity is based in the love of Christ, not in the fact that we all agree with one another. <laughs> okay? That's a big difference. A spirit-filled Christian will do anything to keep the unity of the church that God has already given us. He'll go out of his way to be a peacemaker. But a spirit-filled Christian will just have the joy and the peace of God because he's walking in the righteousness of Christ. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. We're pursuing sinless perfection, which will never happen. That's why we're going to be given glorified bodies. <laughs> but nevertheless, we're pursuing these things. The fourth thing, uh, the heart, our heart, is desiring to be more like Christ. Amen? Our hearts are desiring to be more like Christ. The fifth thing is that we're patient in affliction, persevering in hardships. This is a powerful ministry. This is probably one of the best tests of a spirit-filled Christian. Persevering in the midst of adversity. Persevering against very hostile environments. You know? uh, persevering in a way that is very God-honoring to the Lord. You know, that's a very powerful ministry. 
We have hardships, we have tribulation, we have bad circumstances, but we're not wavering in the path of righteousness, continuing to uphold the witness for God, a reflection of Jesus Christ. That's a spirit-filled Christian. Someone who's not spirit-filled, eh, first sign of trouble, I'm done with this stuff. First sign of persecution, I'm done with this. I don't like my boss, I'm quitting this job. I'm not even going to check in with God. You know, I, I don't like it. I'm going to, that's not the way this works. A spirit-filled Christian, you know, I wish I had a better boss, but, but you know what? Persevere, who knows? Maybe there's something down the line where I might share with him or, you know, we've got to start thinking again with the mind and the heart of God. That's what's going on with a spirit-filled Christian. And that's why we endure. Why do we endure? Because we, we want to honor God. We don't want to honor ourselves. We don't want to give in to the desires of our flesh. We want to honor God. And we know that sometimes we have to persevere through the worst of times because we know it's God's will. That's a spirit-filled Christian. We have a strong awareness of how our actions affect others. You know, we're in public. People know us as Christians at work. They're waiting for us to take a fall or to make a mistake. Say, ah, you Christians are all the same. No, we got to live above reproach. A spirit-filled Christian is very concerned about how their witness is playing out in the minds of non-believers. We're concerned. You know, we don't want to cop an attitude. We want to have patience with people. You know, I mean, people can you know, pull our buttons, right? It's not that hard, is it? What are we going to do? Fly off the handle? Or we're going to be patient with it and consider the fact that I need to maintain some kind of effective witness for God. And who knows? Maybe down the road that person's may, heart may be softened because I conducted myself in a God-honoring way. And maybe the door will be a little wider open to share Christ with some credibility. You know? But we need to, you know, 1 Corinthians 9, excuse me, 1 Corinthians yeah, 9, a wonderful chapter where Paul says, I became all things to all men without compromising the truth. Why? Because he had one thing on his mind. He wanted to gain a hearing for the gospel in the hearts of people. That's a spirit-filled Christian who's thinking in such a manner. You know, rules and regulations can't bring us to this kind of understanding. The Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit goes deep with us about the ways of God. And all of a sudden now, we become a slave to all men. We submit to the consciousness of all men, again, without compromising the truth, because we want to win their hearts to Christ. That's a spirit-filled Christian. Being faithful to the gifts that God has bestowed upon us. God has given us all different gifts. And one way to show a spirit-filled life is we're faithful with those gifts. God's given us the gift of evangelize. Be out there evangelizing. He's given us the gift of mercy. Go to hospitals and visit the sick. He's given us the, the, the gift of helps. Be serving the church with that gift of helps. Given us the gift of teaching, we need to be faithful and disciplined in the word of God so we can teach properly. See how this works? All of us are given different gifts. And 
We got the gift of encouragement. Make sure we're in fellowship because that gift can only function properly in the presence of many people that you're encouraging. Now, again, all of these, you know, we have to be faithful. And so, you know, somewhere we learn what gifts that we have, and I know where our effectiveness is. You know? And so I can't be, you know, I have the gift of teaching. I can't be tied up in a closet somewhere, you know, where nobody has access. I mean, that's just, you know, it's not, that's just useless. But you make sure that, you know, and you open, you know, ask God to open doors and make sure you're in a place that you can use your gift. If the gift of encouragement, you make sure you're at Bible studies or at church because that gift is really a, a miraculous gift. We should all encourage each other, but the gift of encouragement, you're around these people, you get so encouraged so easily. It's a gift. Yeah, you get people like that around you, right? You get so encouraged in the faith, you know? But we should all be pursuing encouragement. And then finally, um, Look at Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22. I don't know you're familiar with this one. This is good. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. The fruit... <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit is singular. But then there's nine attributes that are defined. The idea is that all nine should be, um, should be happening in our lives. It's not as if, hey, six of them I'm good at, three I'm bad. Uh, what really it's saying, we're growing in all nine attributes. Something is happening in our lives you know, through love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things we're growing in. You know, maybe some are more evident than others, but the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, that's probably the best test for a Spirit-filled life. You start really thinking about this walk with God, and it comes down to you know, letting the Holy Spirit guide us into all truth. You know, nothing fancy about this. You know? And it's amazing how effective we become when we just do the simple things of the faith. Obedient, submission, you know, faithfulness, fellowship. Let me say a couple other things. I know we're, I don't want to run too long here, but the motives of a spirit-filled heart we're, motivi we're motivated by our desire to please God. We're doing everything for the glory of God. And 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter, love is the basis for all our actions. The love of God, not the love of man. All right? I'm talking about biblical love when I talk about love. Okay? Man in his ways has redefined love. It has nothing to do with the truth. But the biblical love cannot be separated from biblical truth. It's impossible. There is no love if there's no truth. There is no love if there's no holiness. But the world has found a way to redefine love, and now it's a bunch of good works with a rejection of Jesus, you know, and doing it their own way. That's not love. That's just the good works of man. That's the works of the flesh. 
An atheist can do the works of the flesh. An atheist can do the same works of the flesh that someone in church could do on Sunday. But we're called to do the works of the Spirit. <laughs> That's a little different. And so we need to be commitment to the fellowship of believers. You know, I mean, the Bible talks about fellowship. Uh, participating effectively in a biblical-based local church. We should be committed to a local church. A Bible-believing church that's honoring Jesus Christ. It's our obligation to be committed to body of believers. Problem with America, we're all independent. You know, everybody's independent. Everybody's their own boss. Nobody's submitting to anybody. Go to church and then we go home to our own little kingdom, our own domain, and we don't need anybody. That's not the way this works. That's not the way this works. And if we don't correct that, uh, well, the only thing I could say is we're not spirit-filled. We need to remain accountable to godly believers. Again, we need to use our gifts in serving others. Okay? And so, Acts 2.42, what did the early church do? They were committed to what? The teaching of the disciples, breaking bread, fellowship, you know? I don't know, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. It's just separating people. Nobody's got time to meet in a local gathering. Everybody's just separated. Modern technology is destroying the integrity of fellowship in the church. I'm sorry. We use those things in other ways, but not when it becomes a substitute for what God wants in our personal lives. We need to be committed to the truth in a tangible way where we can touch one another and use our gifts for one another and build each other up in the faith. The fourth thing as far as, you know, our obligation, disciplining ourselves in the faith. You know, 1 Corinthians 9.24, gaining victory over the flesh through the discipline of a spirit-filled life. Listen, we play an active role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We got to be disciplined in obedience. Okay? We got to let, you know, let go and let God, but we need to make adjustments. Give no, you know, uh, gain victory over the flesh by using every God equipment, you know, every way that God has equipped us to say no to ungodliness. I like what uh, 13, Romans 13:14 says, uh, make no provisions for the flesh. Again, not putting oneself in a compromising position that triggers the sinful tendencies and allowing God to stretch us to the limit in order to grow in the faith. Now, don't walk away from trials because that's when we grow. Don't work, walk away from adversity because that's when we grow, when we persevere through it. And then we need to maintain our spiritual intensity constantly growing and maturing in the faith, constantly growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and constantly practicing what we preach to others. That's spiritual intensity. The worst sin everybody wants to talk about, well, can you have a glass of wine? Can you walk into a casino? You know, there's places to address those things, but you know, people go overboard with these issues. You really want to talk about sin? Okay, failing to grow in the Lord. That's a nasty sin that gets under the radar screen. 
for most churches. You want to talk about sin? Let's talk about sin. You know, are you growing in the Lord? You know, are you maturing in the Lord? You know, imagine doing nothing at all with our new place before God. Imagine just going through the moves, right? Never growing, never really committed to anything of the Lord. That's a very treacherous sin. That's a nasty sin. People want to split hairs over working at a casino, you know, dancing, having a glass of wine. It's like, hey, come on, you know? Well, we could talk about these things in a different context. Let's really talk about sin. You know, let's pull each other out from these real nasty sins that, again, get under the radar screen and nobody talks about. And so the last thing I would say, <laughs> this is sad, but this is what we have to do. We have to protect ourselves from a legalistic approach to God's righteousness in which the Holy Spirit is stifled in his ministry to empower us in the faith. What I'm saying is there's a lot of legalistic righteousness going on. It's playing religion according to the flesh, according to the rules of men, according to the ideas of man. They set up the rules. We followed them. And the church is telling you, it's okay. Everything's cool. No, no. That's legalism righteousness. We got to live by the righteousness of the Holy Spirit, by living a spirit-filled life. That's our obligation. Don't let any foreign teachings get in the way. Let the Holy Spirit teach us. We should be able to establish the credibility of a good teacher, a good pastor, and put ourselves under that tutelage because we're learning the Word of God. And we should be able to bear witness to a faithful teacher. We should also be able to bear witness to a phony. Hmm. Amen? Live a Spirit-filled life. Okay. And be blessed. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we uh, again come before you and we do thank you, Father, for opening our eyes to the, the reality of truth, to the reality, Father, of, of, and the essence of what it is, Father, to, to be a Christian. I pray, Father, for Calvary Chapel Paradise that we would be a people who would be spirit-filled, that, Father, we would be a people that would truly bring honor to Jesus Christ in every aspect of our life. We would defend the truth and doctrine, but we would uphold the truth, Father, in the behavior of our lives. And I just ask, Father, that you continue to move in the hearts of of some of us who may be stalled in the forward progress. I pray for anyone here tonight, Father, that doesn't really know you, Father. They know religion, and they've heard a lot about the Bible and Christianity, but they've never really asked Jesus Christ into their heart or received the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that even tonight, beginning with the message, beginning with your word, that you would pierce their hearts, Father, that they would reconsider in the privacy of their lives 
that perhaps they need to make some enormous changes, Father. Give them the grace and the strength to call out to you and submit themselves, Father, to the truth of Jesus Christ. We thank you again, Father, for the freedom to worship you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters. Truly be glorified in our spirit-filled life. We ask this in Jesus' name.